Ladies and gentlemen, it's already cold. Weather's already dropping below 15 degrees. I put on a jacket today. And I already hate it. I hate it. In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D. Bring the noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor. And this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Yeah, I feel like there's a I feel like there's people that listen to this and uh <laughs> and they, they hear fifteen degrees and they're just like, whoa, fifteen degrees? Oh I'd pr- I'd I'd I I'd I'd thank the gods for that. Alright guys, get off me, okay? Just get off me. I don't. I don't care. Right? How? I don't care how you lot. Uh, whether you live in I don't know Scandinavia, right, or Russia, some shit like that, right? I don't care where you live. Okay, it's my show. <laughs> I want to complain about my weather. <laughs> Allow it. <laughs> Let it happen. Okay. Let it happen. To to to, to quote Tame Impala. Let it happen. Let it happen. Alright, just let it happen. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> let's get into this. Just jump right to the show. I have nothing really else to talk about. I just walked the dog today and I was just like, my hands were cold. And I was just like, oh, there we go. There it is. There it is. My hands start getting cold, which means summer's dead for me. And uh, now it's the end of days until un- until April slash May. <coughs> if only hibernate was a thing for humans, eh? Anyway. We have uh, two life uh, music and a film and TV segment for you guys this episode. But before that, for next four, we begin. Email to IG, disconnect all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go peep the articles for yourself, give them a read, and support the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where independent film legend Melvin Van Peebles dies aged 89, we shall be talking about that uh, later on in the show, uh, UK government U-turn, U-turn to relieve uh, immigration visas to European HGV drivers. Uh, my mother's been complaining about the petrol situation for the past four days, and she finally got a petrol today when her car was on red. And uh, yeah, so she's happy, and she is suddenly so much calmer all of a sudden. It's weird how that works, right? You know, it's just weird. It's weird. It's so easy, just to. She's so easy to read sometimes. Like, no, I get it. I get a concern, but yeah, it's, it's just funny how she suddenly came. I came over from walking the dog. She's like, guess what? I was like, let me guess. You got your petrol. <laughs> Great. Uh, Alexander Usyk uh, beats Andy Joshua by a unanimous decision. Um, that, that, that fight was a bit like it was, it was very obvious. You know what I mean? I'm not a boxing guy. I'm not going to talk about X's and O's, right? But I just watched it with a couple of the boys, and I was just like, eh, that was that was pretty clear cut, wasn't it? Like I feel like I feel like Usyk was just way more aggressive, and you know, if you, I mean, <laughs> aggressive is great. You know what I mean? Sometimes that can get you a bit too too giddy and you get knocked out. Like, you know what I mean? Just get caught, you know? All it takes is one punch, isn't it? So, you know, the aggressiveness is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's strategic. Um, but, yeah, he literally just, like, kept throwing punches and then he was like, yeah, go on then. That's how it looked anyway. I don't know. Uh, Lewis Hamilton wins his 100th race in Sochi. Sochi. Um, I hate that circuit with all my heart, but um, that was a very fascinating race. Um, I it is, it, but you know, let's just thank the weather for it, right? Because um, you know, peak for Lando Norris not getting his first win, um, but he will definitely get that dub. Um, I don't know, potentially this year. I wouldn't be surprised. Sometime at the end of the near the end of the year, maybe like Brazil or something, he, he gets his chance. I, 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 I'm confident that Lando will get his first W uh, this year. And lastly, R. Kelly is found guilty on racketeering and sex trafficking. Ladies and gentlemen, 
we got him. All right, we'll begin with... Uh, what are we begin with? Uh, oh, yes. The first of two life topics. Um, so, yes, um, this is uh, basically a rehash, not a rehash, but like a re-up. Re-up. Uh, re-up's a great word. Um, of the, you know, of just a constant violence against women um, in this country here in the UK. Um, you know, obviously Sarah Everard was like the, uh, the, the big one and, uh, you know, people got very, uh, got very uh, angry about it you know, rightly so, and, uh, you know, a lot of the flame has been directed towards the police, and again, rightly so. Um, so I found this article here, I found two, actually, via uh, Byline Times, uh, shout out to them, um, but uh, I found this one much more fascinating, um, but you, there's there's plenty of commentary uh, on there, if you want to, uh, on this on this particular subject, if you want to get on there, so uh, feel free. But this one's by uh, Sean Norris. Uh, this is called "Can Women Be Safe in Britain When the Police Fail to Hold Their Own to Account?" And that is a freaking great question. That's always that's always the thing that like, that pisses me off with like the police and that. Like they they you know they have all this they have all these measures of policing and stuff like that. But then but then when someone you know complains inside the police or um. Or uh, you know, so a certain there's a certain uh, uptick in some sort of cri- some particular crime, such as you know, violence against women. Uh, they're, they're just they're just you know, sexual assault, all of that stuff. The statistics are mad. But anyway, let's get into this. Detectives from the Met uh, Police have said uh, that London streets are quote unquote safe for women, as police in Greenwich hand out rape alarms to women in the wake of the killing of 28-year-old teacher Sabina Nessa. The primary school teacher was killed while walking in a local park. A man has been arrested on suspicion of murder. A statement from the Met Police has provoked anger from women, with this uh, horrific killing coming just six months after another woman was murdered while walking home, Sarah Everard. Her killer was one of police's own, Wayne Cousins. And it comes at a time when, between 2016 and 2021, wow, there were 56,933 rape allegations in the capital, of which only 6,883 were solved. Safety is more than a word. It can't simply be stated and then, like magic, the fears evaporate. For women, safety starts with having equal access to public space as their male peers. It is not being told to stay home, uh, yeah, stay home, walk in groups, avoid the dark, take out your headphones, don't wear this colour clothing or this length skirt, don't get drunk, just leave him. It's knowing that when the worst happens, you'll be believed and not blamed. Safety also means that when the worst happens, the people who are in charge of supporting women find justice uh, to find justice are not, in fact, the perpetrators themselves. The Byline Intelligence Team has reported on the rates of impunity facing police officers found guilty of gross misconduct in relation to sex crimes, including rape and sexual assault. Freedom of information requests reveal how more than half, 52% specifically, of Met Police officers kept their jobs after independent panels found them guilty of sexual misconduct, including against colleagues. Across England and Wales, 14 officers between 2017 and 21 were found to have targeted vulnerable, vulnerable women for sex, abusing their power and undermining trust in victims and witnesses. The failings of the police when it comes to violence against women and girls is not new. When the taxi driver John Warboys uh, was first accused of rape, the police failed to act. His first victim told Channel 4 News that he that she wished she had been quote-unquote more believable. Some estimates state that he raped up to 100 women. Cousins, who entered a guilty plea for the rape, abduction and murder of Sarah Everard, was twice accused of indecent exposure. Neither incident appeared to have an impact on his policing career, and this likely had an impact on women's safety. Uh, Some of the cases identified by the Byline Intelligence team involved police officers sending messages to minors, having sex with vulnerable witnesses, and failing to properly investigate sex crimes. Officers found guilty of owning images of abuse, uh, child abuse were fired. But how long were they engaged in abuse before losing their job? How many vulnerable women passed through their doors? How can women feel safe in London and across the UK when those charged with keeping us safe are guilty themselves, both, both of the crimes they are investigating and of failing to care? In recent years, 
there has been an increase in reporting of male, excuse me, uh, male violence against women and girls, and more and more conversations about its causes and impacts. The government has even consulted on a strategy around the issue, ensuring that it is on the national agenda. But while progress have been made, has been made on awareness, powered in part by the hashtag MeToo movement around sexual harassment and assault, women are struggling to access justice. Rape prosecutions in England and Wales are at a historic low. A woman may be more likely to report violence than in the past, uh, but she now has only a 1 in 70 chance of seeing her rapist convicted. Raising awareness about violence is not enough. Not when the police have been cancelling uh, cancelling records... Is it cancelling? Yeah, cancelling records of rape. Uh, okay, uh, 19 forces in England and Wales wrongly did so, and no criming rape allegations. In 2014, a report found that 26% of uh, sexual offences were recorded as no crime. And it is not enough when the, some police officers abuse their power and harass female colleagues only to keep their jobs. The concern is that while laudable progress has been made to encourage women to report uh, that progress risks being undone when they come into contact with the tr- criminal justice system. A dossier of evidence gathered by a coalition of women cha- women's charities gathered by a, uh, sorry, <laughs> nearly read the same line twice, found that women who reported sexual violence had their cases dropped by the Crown Prosecution Service for a variety of reasons that are linked to flick- victim blaming. This includes women being intoxicated, sharing sexual images with the alleged perpetrator and being in a relationship with the alleged perpetrator. These outdated attitudes from the justice system has fueled a collapse in rape prosecutions and risk putting women off reporting lest they be blamed for the violence uh, violence committed against them. But what the byline intelligence team of investigation shows is that the behaviour of police officers could also be a barrier to reporting sex crimes. How can, women confident, how can a woman confidently report sexual violence to the police when her case may be heard by an officer guilty of gross misconduct in relation to sex crimes who has remained in post? How much faith can the bereaved have when officers investigating the murders of two sisters are found to have swapped inappropriate messages about the crime scene? How can women uh, trust the police who tell us we are safe while also delivering safety advice that denies women access to public space on equal footing with men? Safety advice that suggests that, deep down, women are to blame for violence committed against us. Of course, there are many good police officers who take violence against women and girls seriously and who are determined to tackle the epidemic that kills a woman kills a woman in the UK every three days. But for too long, leadership within the police has relied on, ba- on a bad apple explanation that master deep-seated issues of sexism and victim blaming when it comes to gender-based violence. I think that's a really... Um, uh, poignant thing to repeat on the bad apples front i feel like that's always the excuse when it comes to these kind of things um and not even just for you know crimes against women um you know race crimes hate crimes uh, you know plenty of plenty of uh, things where the uh where the marginalized um are just not trusted for whatever reason and then when something egregious of of this nature comes up and you know it's clear cut somebody in the police ah it's bad apple bad apple bad apple nah it's it's not us man it's not us we're committed we're committed to all this he was a bad apple she was a bad apple you know i mean it's just it's 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 just not it's just not enough really isn't it uh to to just say bad apple wipe your hands and then keep it moving anyway speaking of keep it moving the work of the byline team exposes this as little more than a brushing aside of real failings. When more than half of poli- met police officers found guilty of sexual misconduct by an independent panel can keep their jobs, this isn't about bad apple but a ro- rotten bushel. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right there. Uh, something has sh- uh, shifted this past year. In the wake of Sarah Everard's murder, women rallied together, organised marches and vigils, vigils uh, and vi- uh, refused to be silent. It refused to accept the safety advice and narrative that women w- should change our behaviour to keep ourselves safe while men uh, are free to occupy public space. On the anniversary of the murder of Bieber Henry and Nicole Smallman, women once again gathered uh, to gather to together. I think, yeah, to together, uh, and held a vigil in the park where the sisters were killed, while others joined in virtually lighting candles in their own homes. Now, as another young woman was killed while walking through the streets, uh, we are told safe, 
we yeah we to- we are told are safe. Women are organising with vigils planned in London at the Labour pa- and at the Labour Party conference in Brighton, and women encouraged to join virtually. This matters. There is strength in coming together. There is sisterhood and solidarity in sharing grief and anger. There is a message being sent. We will not part with this anymore. But what the past six months, if not longer, has shown is that awareness raising and com- uh, conversations can only go so far. Women don't need to have their awareness raised about male violence. We live with it. We see it. We experience it. We care for friends who are bruised and afraid or friends care for us. And while a government strategy on gender-based violence is welcome, it's time for action and not just words. Not least when a decade of conservative austerity has shredded the safety net for women experiencing male violence from cuts to the police to refuge closures and a welfare system that empowers controlling abusers. Women need safety, that's true. But safety cannot exist when we are told to keep ourselves safe, when we are blamed for failing to do so, and when male violence is normalised and uh, accepted. Safety cannot exist when the police are failing to hold their own to account. Uh, In the months between Sarah Everard's murder and Sabina Ness's death, at least 80 women have been killed where men are the principal uh, suspect or have been convicted and they have uh, literally they've listed all eighty names um, uh, since uh, from in, from between Sir Everard and uh, Sabina Nessa. <sighs> so um, yeah, um, uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's just um, I don't know, man. That's uh, I think I think uh, the mention you know um, the the big mention I feel like has been mentioned on this cycle, but you know should be. I feel should be mentioned is um you know it's not just up to women to um voice up on this um it has to be there has to be a contingent of uh males um raising awareness of this in, in uh, raising aware of this literal epidemic really um uh, women dying every 3 every 3 days um you know, for 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 these kind of in in this in these what in these horrible ways, and um, yeah, it's it's just um it's just very jarring to think about, and honestly, it kind of um it always it always makes me think um you know whenever I you know I when I I usually I walk usually everywhere right um I just I just like walking most places um I rarely you know uh you know i grab a bus if i can you know i mean obviously if i go to london or whatever i'm grabbing a train but even when i'm in london i'm either walking or using the tube um i don't use the bus at london i usually just walk um if i if it's a too long of a walk i usually hop on a tube station and usually um or train station and usually there is a station nearby from for where i want to be right that's the that's why that's part of the reason why i just enjoy london because i i know i can walk everywhere and uh and if I need, if need be, I have public transport right there for me. But um, even with that said, I, I I can say I enjoy walking everywhere, and I do so at night a lot. Um, if I'm coming back from a friend's house and it's night time, you know, I I don't feel too, I don't feel threatened, right? I don't I don't feel that. Um, but it also, fa- but it it just makes me think whenever I do that, and I see a woman on her own, um it usually brings me back to things like these, to subjects like these, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is jarring, it's jarring to think about, um, of trying to put yourself in, as a dude, trying to put yourself into a woman's shoes, and thinking about their safety, not just at night, by the way, right, this, this, you know, it's not just about, um, walking home at night, um it's it's during the day as well right um i remember i read uh, i don't know if i read on here or just read it in general of like um a woman uh a, a columnist who basically just <laughs> wrote about her being harassed in broad daylight um and she wrote the, she wrote the column the day after uh, about that and basically detailed the experience i don't know if i did it on this episode uh, on this on, on the show but um just reading that was really jarring because she was only going to pick up her kids from school and there was just this guy just this random guy just just barking at him just like <sighs> I, I don't know man it's crazy to think about but anyway um hopefully you know just bringing this up does something um i'm not expecting to move mountains with this but um you know i feel like it's a necessary subject that um can needs to be um 
consistently talked about. And, um, you know, hopefully the police... Uh, hopefully. <laughs> the police need to pull their fucking finger out. And so does the government on that front. Because uh, the word epidemic was thrown in there. And I don't think that's too much of a reach. up into music and uh, this is something this is a subject that I'm very fascinated with and uh, I participate in a lot um, rap reissues or just reissues but this obviously links more to rap um, I, I just I, I love me some reissues man I love it um, as a vinyl not collector I'm not, <laughs> not a collector quite yet I don't feel I don't feel like I deserve that kind of moniker um, put that on myself uh, deserve that ty- kind of label um, but yeah, I, you know, I buy the occasional vinyl here and now. I try and, you know, pull, pull myself back. Uh, I don't even have a vinyl player. I'm collecting vinyl. I don't even have a player, you know what I mean? So at some point, something's got to give and, uh, I need to get myself a player. I know, what, I know what to get. I know what I want, but yeah, I, I need to get that and speakers and gear to go with it. You know what I mean? I need the, I need to save up just not for the player itself, but for the full, whole nine yards. I really want to kit out and, you know, have everything there, um, and all the accessories as well, so uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's it's a lot, um, but yeah, uh, rap reissues. Um, yeah, I've been I've been really getting into. I'm really enjoying uh, reissues of certain albums. Um, you know, I've got a couple here. Um, they reference Vinyl Me Please straight off on here on this article. Um, it's called the Rap Reissue Market is Booming. Can it last? This is by Mosi Reeves via Pitchfork. Um, and uh, yeah, they reference Vinyl Me Please, which, uh, which they do um, a record of the month uh, club kind of thing. So you pay a subscription every month, and you get um, and you get a vinyl, um, a reissued vinyl in a completely um, bespoke uh, casing. Obviously, the album itself, but um, you, you get coloured. The vinyl's always coloured in a special way. You know, need to do with the album. Uh, there's always a theme to it. Uh, they have additional uh, write, uh, liner notes as well inside as well, and uh, it's just it's just perfect. Um, they they just do such good work over there. Shout out to them. Um, I've got uh, just for example like a 25th anniversary of Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style on there. Oh gosh, the the the, the vinyl itself is so freaky. It's like an eyeball. It's crazy. Um, and then I've also got a Commons Electric Circus as well. Um, I want to get Little Sims's uh, Curious Tales of Trials and Persons as well. I'm, I'm trying. I've got my eye on that, so that's probably going to be the next one I get um, on that front. Uh, but yeah, I just love it. But anyway, let's get to the cycle because I'll just, just, I'm just, I'm just, as you can imagine, I'm interested <laughs> in subjects. <laughs> okay, uh, when Final We Please launched as a record, uh, launched as a record of the month club in 2013, the company sprinkled in beloved rap albums like Jay Diller's Donuts and Mad Villain's Villainy. Three years later, a pressing of Young Thugs, Young Thugs Barter Six, uh, one of the first exclusive vinyl offerings in its store, sold out a thousand copies in an hour. Quote, that was a moment for us as a team, says VMP head of A&R Alexandra Berenson. We were like, oh, there's a market for this right now that's not being satisfied, unquote. The company realized that the then uh, then that the rap reissue market had outgrown its origins as a niche for backpack and golden era hip hop. The past decade or so decade also has seen a flourishing market for all styles of music on vinyl. In the first half of 2021, sales of the format have grown 108 percent. But hip hop vinyl has its has its idiosyncrasies, from the dominance of independent labels to a bottomless appetite for out- outlandish coloured vinyl and gimmicky packaging. Me, me, I'm that person. Over the years, the demise of CDs and rise of digital downloads and then streaming led to a bigger customer base than just hardcore crate diggers who already own OG copies of Wu Tang's Enter the Thirty Six Chambers. <coughs> Enter the Wu Tang Thirty Six Chambers. Sorry, gotta say the name right. Uh, as hip hop has grown more popular than ever, uh, casual fans are creating unprecedented demand for reissues of bestsellers as well as hard to find original pressings. Now, the market is undergoing its own unique growing pains, many like those in the uh, vinyl industry at large. Multiple label owners spoke to Pitchfork about their inability to meet rising consumer demand, major labels monopolizing production capacity, navigating a shipping landscape marked by the COVID 19 pandemic, heat waves, 
and geopolitical issues like the exit, and reckoning with the effects of structural racism on marketing campaigns and label ownership. Ooh. Okay, this is a relatively long article. I'm not really sure if I'm going to get to all of it, but I'm going to read that last bit. Uh, that that the ra- structural racism in marketing campaigns? I want to see what's up on that front. But anyway, let's continue on. And if I've got time, uh, 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 maybe get through it all, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. <coughs> One of the prominent labels in the rap reissue game, the Boston-based Get On Down, uh, was part of the first wave of hip-hop reissue labels that emerged in the late 2000s. Quote, we, we're happy there's a whole new demographic of kids buying vinyl. I figured it would have aged out with us, said Matt Welch, who co-owns Get On Down with Papa D and Joe Mansfield. As long-time hip-hop heads in their mid-40s, the trio continually marvels uh, at how much casual record buyers have grown to love Golden Age rap. It's a phenomenon that was less common in the mainstream even a few years ago. That kind of evolution mirrors the overall growth of rap reissues, which initially focused on compiling material from the 80s and 90s. In the US, One, ep- one Leg Up Records, I love these names by the way, <laughs> surface demo tracks from the likes of Nas and Grand Pooba. Dope Folks Records did the same with the un- with underheard acts like The Busy Boys and Dark Mind. In Britain, uh, there, there was uh, Diggers With Gratitude. <laughs> I love these names. <laughs> uh, which grew out of a popular message board and chopped herring records run by longtime Manchester DJ uh, DJ Chubby Grooves Lip uh, Bob DJ Chubby Grooves Lip Lipich yeah Lipich uh, in Germany there was Vinyl Addicts which dropped a 12 inch of Lord Finesse demos these imprints emerged at a time when vinyl collectors valued rare 12 inches like Ramel Z and K. Rob's uh, Jean-Michel uh, Basquiat produced Beat Bop and obscure random rap CD, uh, CDs and cassettes. By comparison, copies of major, uh, major label albums like Fuji's The Score and Lil' Kim's Hardcore were relatively easy to find in second-hand stores. <coughs> That's some good rhymes. Fuji's The Score, Lil' Kim's Hardcore, relatively easy to find in second-hand stores. Bars. Uh, these days, the major labels uh, often ter- often turn to well-branded indies to manage their issues. Sony enlisted Get On Down for an elaborate 30th anniversary edition of Cypress Hill's classic debut. Finally, please worked with Sony on the 25th, an- 25th anniversary neon green and galaxy uh, blue galaxy vinyl edition of Outcast's AT Aliens. It bangs, by the way. I saw. I've seen. I saw that. Oh, creamy, absolutely creamy. Um, those kind of reissues now quickly disappear from online and brick and mortar stores. Quote: The audience for hip hop vinyl se- uh, feels like it's always growing in a way that the audience for classic rock vinyl isn't keeping the same pace, says Andrew Winnistorfer, VMP's classics and country director. So much of the classic rap canon wasn't released on vinyl when it came out, or it was under-released. Unquote. The vinyl boom has proven surprisingly resilient so far, flummoxing skeptics. Uh, who have predicted the collapse? That or maybe that may or may not be on the horizon. Still, as the market issue, as the market re- for reissues grows, the existential issues, as well as unexpected calamities like the Apollo Masters fire last year, threaten to repel consumers of uh, sick of rising prices and hard to find product. There are four key issues that rap reissue market faces and mature, uh, as it matures and expands. Okay, so. Let me um, let me skip let me skip a couple of them. So the first one is called "Artists Themselves Don't Always Clear Reissues," um, which uh, really gets into uh, stuff like uh, Tommy Boy and uh, well, that, that's just for that's just an example um, as I as I think about it. But there's a mention here of a uh, Nas's team wasn't directly involved on uh, 25th anniversary of it was written, which is fascinating considering that's Nas. Like uh, yeah, but. Uh, there's also not not really to do with uh, vinyl, but obviously there's stuff like Tommy Boy and uh, um, you know uh, if you if you that but that's more about to do with masters and anything else. This it doesn't really cover it on here, but yeah, there's a there's a, com- there's a conversation there in terms of comparison. Uh, the next one is cust- the customer base is growing more knowledgeable and increasingly demanding, uh, which is uh, very interesting. Uh, but this is one I want to get onto. Rap reissue uh, labels are still largely owned by mid middle aged white men. Let's go for this one. <laughs> Come on, guys. You know, you know I was going to do it. <laughs> read the rest if you want. Go read, please read the rest because it's fascinating. But yeah, I had to get this one. Uh, as the market diversifies beyond its male-dominated de- DJ and crate dick origins, the racial and gender dynamics of the labels fueling it remain the same. The fact that the white men 
uh, that white men in the United States and Europe are cataloging and repacking an art form created mainly by black artists makes for an unsettling discussion about who profits from this booby market. When asked about structural racism and sexism within rap reissue, la- reissue labels, one label owner de- declined to comment. A second danced around the question by asserting their decades-long commitment to the genre. Quote, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Said uh, Chopped Herring's Lipich. Uh, it's a really difficult question, ma'am. And it's a shame uh, that it's the case. Clearly, there needs to be more diverse ownership, unquote. VMP was uh, founded by two white executives, Matt Fielder and Tyler Barstow. But Berenson says the company is actively trying to diversify internally with it, with help from women in music. Uh, quote, it's a larger uh, systemic issue that we're seeing not only in the music industry, but across all industries. As a woman of colour, I would love to see a world in which that changes, she says. The only way to do that is to have people in positions of power who feel strongly about making those changes within their organisation. That's a great point. Uh, it's here in brackets. Before this story went to press, VMP announced it had hired journalist Marcus J. Moore as director of its hip hop division. Shout out to Marcus J. Moore. He did a great book on Kendrick Lamar, uh, which is, uh, is is great if you don't know much about Kendrick Lamar. Um, definitely worth a read if, you, if, you, if you're into that. Um, some in the music industry have argued that uh, these companies rely on marketing campaigns tactically uh, aimed at the usual white collectors instead of actively courting a diverse customer base. Alexandria Henson launched Black Girls Love Vinyl on Instagram in 2017. Quote, I was inspired by the work of DJ Beverly Bond with everything she's doing with Black Girls Rock, unquote. Henson writes via email. Uh, Henson writes via email, sorry. Henson digs for beat, uh, for beat classics by MF Doom, Slum Village, and Lapalux. Lapalux? I'm, I'm tripping up on that name, I must say. Lapalux? Um, when asked if uh, labels effectively cater to black women, she says no. Quote, I don't think it's on purpose, but it's just like crate digging. Uh, are these labels digging for th- for this community? She wonders. Our music taste ha- has range and is very eclectic. Get into it and do the research. Unquote. Edwards uh, LA Lab Resource is a rare case of a black-owned label uh, that produces rap reissues. Although he's only put out a handful so far. When asked about the lack of black entrepreneurs in the space, he responds, "Quote: Yeah, I think about that a lot." But he adds, I'd like there to, uh, to be more black-owned independent reissue record labels, but to be honest, the world right now is messed up, dot, dot, dot. However, the music gets out there okay by me. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's one more here, but I might leave it there. It's called, as more players enter the field, it's unclear uh, which companies will survive. And that's a very interesting conversation. I think that's, a, yeah, that's kind of a case of, um, <coughs> uh, that, that, that's, you know, that's a case of, uh, company uh, company startups in that fashion um, a, a, a different comparison a, a different way of slicing that or a different way of looking at it is uh, you know obviously in the UK recently um, there's been like an energy crisis so to speak um, and it's actually forced a lot of uh, smaller energy companies to shut down um, obviously there's the big six, I think six, if I remember correctly, um, you know, British Gas and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there are loads of other small companies that, you know, do good stuff, right? Um, I, 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 I was on, when I was at last year at uni, there was like one I've never heard of, but I was a part of, and they were actually really good sized in terms of just like being simple and like, you know, I knew what to pay. There was a bit of a, it was a bit of a confusion on, a on a time. They basically just like didn't bill us for like two months and then they just build us like a ton so that was a bit sketchy but you know got that sorted um but yeah you know it's kind of like that you know you, obviously finally please is gonna survive right it's, it's finally please okay but obviously all these smaller ones um they need they're, they're gonna need that leg up because there are gonna be a lot of people uh wanting to do this and uh mate honestly get there is nothing sexier than vi- than vinyl reissues right now. There is nothing sexier, boy. Hey, if you see that color vinyl and it's like 180 gram and it just looks tasty, boy, and the oh, and the artwork looks banging. And there's some, like bespoke liner notes. It's just, bro. I've got I've got a I've got a Guru Jasmataz vinyl that's like limited to 500 copies. That's gas. I'm gassed about, and I didn't even pay that much for it. Right, I don't know where I forgot where I got it from, um, but yeah, that was gas when I saw that. I was like, "Yes, please, go on." It wasn't from Vinyl Me Please, but it was from something else. It was from like an online vinyl store, and it was just there. It was just there, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, boy!" 
so yeah man um there's been there's, there's definitely a lot of here uh, a lot here there's definitely a lot of competition i'm here for it um you know and obviously when i get the p i'm just gonna be fucking just splashing that 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 oh, once i get that vinyl player oh i'm gonna be taking some clean pictures with those those uh you know what <laughs> to fit with to fit on a uh to fit on a stereotype uh, what what some black people are about when it comes to rims, I am like when it comes to vinyl. There is nothing. There is nothing I love more than watching a just a beautiful looking vinyl spinning on a table. It's just spinning on a turntable. There is nothing more serene in this world than watching my 25th anniversary version of Doggy Style by Snoop Doggy Dog. Just spin in on that turntable, boy. There is nothing better in life. You know what that last bit reminds me of? It reminds me of this Chris Rock bit where he goes, he's talking about rims and he's shaking his head. He's going, they spin it, nigga, they spin it. They spin it, nigga, they spin it. They spin it, nigga, they spin it. <laughs> oh, shout out to Chris Rock, the goat. All right, um, so we're hopping into our second, our second life topic. Um, and uh, this is about... <laughs> Let me let me let me cover some down. This is uh this is about uh I I just find it interesting, right? When um when I when I you know recently in the UK there's been a, a cabinet reshuffle. So basically, you know, cabinet is like you know the secretaries of whatever uh, energy, state, justice secretary, all that kind of stuff, right? Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is a geeky one for finance manager, finance minister. Um, you know, and uh, I always wonder like where do they get the qualifications for these? You know, because it's really based on it's always based on like how high the position is in the food chain, and that's why they do it. Um, but can they act? Do they actually know anything about culture when they're culture minister? You know what I mean? And uh, in this case, it's a qualities minister. And I, 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 I saw this, and I was and I was like, oh right, so the qualities minister doesn't give a fuck about quality. That's great. That's great to know. So, with that said, this is called "I Don't Care About Colonialism." Read UK Equalities Minister leaked 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 WhatsApp uh, leaked WhatsApps. There's a lot of S's in there. Equalities Ministers leaked WhatsApps. There's too many S's. <laughs> it's a poor title, but anyway, this is a uh, via Vice News by Ben Hunt. Um, so yeah, I, I just want to jump in here because uh, we've talked about Kemi uh, Badenoch before, um, briefly when she talked about uh. And there was like, you know, talk about critical race theory coming over here, even though it wasn't. And, uh, you know, they just, and she, they, the Tory party just, you know, brought the black women out to, you know, basically be a puppet. And uh, not to say that she doesn't think that, because clearly via these texts, she doesn't give a fuck. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was just, it was just interesting um, on that fashion. That was the first time I saw her. Anyway, so let's just jump right in here. And uh, by the way, this isn't the first time in the, in the, in the, past few weeks that she's been on the news she was actually in the news before for going on anti-lgbtq rant in leaked audio again the equalities minister <laughs> okay just just probably, just just nail that into just drill that into your head the equalities minister thinks these things as we go through all right let's get into it uk equalities minister kemi badenoch claimed i don't care about colonialism in WhatsApp conversation, uh, conversations obtained by Vice World, World News. In a series of messages and conversations reviewed in full by Vice World News, the rising star of the ruling Conservative Party, who has just been promoted to take on an expanded foreign affairs role, wrote that European powers, quote, just made a different bunch of winners and losers on the African continent. The disclosure of WhatsApps uh, come days after Vice World News revealed that Badenoch had mocked LGBTQ rights in a leaked audio recording from 2018, the same year some of the WhatsApp messages were written. I don't care, quote, I don't care about colonialism because I know what we're doing before colonialism got there. They came in and just made a different bunch of winners and losers, but Badenoch wrote. Continuing on, there was never any concept of rights. Uh, so the people who lost out were old elites, were <laughs> not old elites, not everyday people, she continued. 
The British Empire and its European counterparts believed in the uh, superiority of white people and indigenous groups experienced extreme exclusion, displacement and violence in order for the British to take control and keep it. Obviously, we know that, don't we, guys? We all know that, right? Uh, While there are debates around teaching this history in UK schools, they should. I repeat, they should. Uh, the effects of colonialism continue today, and lives are still lost because of colonial-era laws. Fact. Uh, UK opposition party Labour called Badenoch's comments crass, divisive, and painfully inaccurate. A UK government spokesperson said, quote, The government does not comment on the private correspondence, unquote. <laughs> Useless. Uh, the WhatsApp messages uh, from Badenoch were sent privately or posted in a group chat called Conservative Friends of Nigeria. Uh, one of the founding members of the group was Funmi Adebayo, uh, a former associate and conservative supporter. Adebayo said she provided the WhatsApp messages to Vice World News because she felt she had to speak up after Badenoch had a portfolio from the Foreign uh, Commonwealth and Development Office added to her brief. Uh, the exact responsibilities of the minister's new international role are still to be confirmed. Uh, Adebayo was an investment banker when they first met Badenoch and looked up to the newly uh, elected Conservative MP, one of few black women in UK's ruling party. In an interview with Vice World News, Adebayo called Badenoch's comments on colonialism, quote, dangerous and ignorant. These messages show Kemi Badenoch's deep lack of understanding and ignorance when it comes to the impact of British colonialism, especially on the Commonwealth nations, Adebayo said. Uh, in co- another message sent as part of the same conversation, Badenoch defended her beliefs around race. Oh, here we go. Describing a, quote, mini-identity crisis that she had in her mid-twenties. Uh, she discusses how she learned more about her race from someone who she believes, quote, would just be sacked for racism today. She said she had a colleague, quote, who took no prisoners on the issue, on this issue, and he was very aggressive in challenging my view of what African achievement actually was. She continued, the, that the kind of chat I think is impossible to have today because he would just be sacked for racism. But he knew his stuff and he didn't back down and I found and I found I knew a lot less about the country I lived in and grew up from uh, than I thought. Grew up from than I thought, unquote. In the leaked messages, Badenoch also criticises a number of leading black politicians in the UK, including those within her own party, as well as prominent black academics and public figures. Asked whether she considered Tory MP and government minister uh, Sam Gima. Uh, there's a G. There's a there's a G Y I and the Y and the I is throwing me off. So Gima, I'm going to say that um, a potential leader of the party. But I did not responded with the words "fuck no." Oh gosh, <coughs> Loris. Uh, he has no friends or base in the party, she continued. Uh, who is going to follow him? Uh, Gamia, who quit the uh, Conservative Party over UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson exit plans and later joined the Lib Dems, had been contacted for comment. But there you go. She was kind of right, considering he dipped just like that. But, you know. At one point, Badenoch boasted about almost making one of the world's most celebrated race academics cry in front of an audience. Quote, I was on a panel with Kimberly Crenshaw, who is uh, like the queen of critical race theory at UCLA or Stanford, she wrote. Uh, she was practically in tears by the end of it because she literally had never heard the arguments I was making and could not respond. <laughs> and then she started shouting that I had no right to be on the panel because I didn't read her book, Laughing Emoji. Vice World News says, contacted Kimberly Crenshaw for comment. After a prominent black communist uh, columnist uh, working for a major UK newspaper questioned how black conservatives would stand by their party after the Windrush scandal, where the UK where UK authorities uh, wrongly threatened uh, people in Caribbean countries with deportation, or in some cases actually wrongly deported them, Badenoch responded, "Quote: Wow, she needs some schooling." <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Oh come on, man! You, you can't. People like this can't be saved. I'm sorry, like you can't. I, I I refuse to even conversate with these kind of people. Anyway, continuing on, and said she wants to quote build an army because she's tired of the shit. <laughs> oh come on, come on, come on! <sighs> Badenoch added that it was quote unquote very hard for her to speak up about the situation without getting abusive. What? To who? She went on to ask the group, if I helped you write an article, would you be happy to put your name to it? 
Better Not Cool So said that there are too many inarticulate black uh, people given uh, front and center stage. Look at Diane Abbott. She continue- I was waiting for Diane Abbott to be mentioned here. Everyone mentions Diane Abbott, regardless of whatever conversation there is as it pertains to black people in Parliament. Diane Abbott, whether it be positively or negatively, is mentioned. Most of the time, it's negatively. Uh, she continued on the next message. <clears throat> Practically, the only black woman you see discussing politics and how she disgraced herself uh, not knowing her brief. That cu- kind of stuff is so bad for us, unquote. Labour MP Abbott, who at the time of Bandnot's comments was Shadow Home Secretary, had been contacted for comments. Can't wait for that. Oh, uh, Bell Ribeiro Addy, uh, Labour MP for Streatham, labelled uh, Bandnot's comments as crass device. So he labelled it as crass device and painting accurate. Why did they say the Labour? I don't know. That quote's been repeated twice now. I don't know. Anyway, she continued, quote, For hundreds of years, the British Empire systematically underdeveloped and extracted resources from the global south. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you got it. Blaming people for their own suffering expectation, exploitation might be a tried and tested toy tactic, but it's not actually what happened. Huh? For hundreds of years, the British Empire systematically underdeveloped and extracted resources from the global south. Right? Correct. Right? We can agree on that. Yeah, that's correct. Blaming people for their own suffering and exploitation might be a tried and tested Tory tactic, but it's not what actually happened. So, uh, is she saying that Tories don't use that tactic? Um, I'm confused what she meant by it's not what actually happened. Uh, okay. I'm just continue. Adebayo, who is now the CEO and founder of the Black Monologues, a black-led production company, said that they no longer associate with any political party. Good shout. Um, they said they were coming forward with the WhatsApp messages because, quote, I think it's important that somebody who knows her has spoken to her and understands the way she thinks actually exposes, exposes the fact that she is not equipped at all to take on this role at the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. Somebody with this level of ignorance who just doesn't understand the history shouldn't be in a position to decide what's in the best interest for the, of these nations. Good shout. Perfect. Perfect. Shout out to, shout to Miss Adebayo on here, man, because she... she Bang this out! Like she, she, she produced all of this in some way, and uh, I'm glad she did. This is a perfect. This is justice right here, man. This is some cold hard justice right here. This is deserved. She doesn't deserve that job clearly, and she was like, "Okay, let me just let me just do this because I don't think this person this this conversation needs to be had," and she doesn't seem fit to it. I agree exactly. It's perfect. Um, Adabai said that while Badenoch was at one point a mentor figure for her, she felt deeply betrayed by her comments on colonialism. I did not realise when I first engaged with her that she held these views, she told Vice World News in a phone interview. As soon as it became clear that she generally didn't care about colonialism and that she generally didn't ca- uh, think there was anything wrong with it, I just thought, this is very worrying and I cannot engage with her anymore. I was betrayed and I was deeply disappointed to hear that these were her views, unquote. Uh, well, continuing on, actually. I think she's absolutely the wrong person to be sitting in this office uh, that she now has been given. Uh, as a, as great as it to see a black woman in a position of power, and as great as that is for representation, she is not equipped, she does not have the knowledge, she does not have the experience, nor does she have the empathy to be in such a role. Uh, uh, such a role. I hope, excuse me, I hope that is strongly understood that just because she's a black woman does not mean that she can be the spokesperson for all black people. Talk about it. Big facts. Big, big facts. Unquote. Uh, responding to the minister's leaked comments, the spokesperson from the Runnymede Trust, the UK-based uh, race equality think tank, wa- uh, said, quote, One thing uh, that has been made all the more apparent in the past year is that the lasting legacy of colonialism still carries trauma and pain for our ethnic minority communities. Facts. Uh, Edward Colston's statue. Exhibit A. Uh, the expansion of empire came at a considerable cost to, and great, caused great pain to, those who were colonised, and that legacy deserves our full consideration. Britain still has work to do um, to consi- reconcile a complex and difficult history in an uh, inappropriate, in an appropriate and sensitive manner, unquote. And that's the entire article right there. And I love it. It's perfect. Um, this is exactly what's needed, um, you know, just held to account feet held to the fire, this woman is not fit to hold these positions. She just isn't. 
and it's and it's I guarantee you it's not just her within the Tory party we j- we literally just had a cabinet reshuffle Gavin Williamson is a twat and he got fired don't care what you what you and and, and actually I tried to rem- okay we, we should do something we should need to re- we need to stop saying fired by the way I've I just remembered that rule for myself and I just said it um we should not be we should not be saying fired or sacked right because these guys are not losing their jobs they are still MPs of their of their constituencies okay they just have less responsibilities if anything they uh they get they're getting a few they're getting more time to themselves that's it you get oh you're you're doing shit at your job. Here's free time. That's basically what they're game. Okay, so it's not about. I mean, if they're really that career driven, then sure, obviously that would be a big uh, black black eye to them. But in the grand scheme of things, they're fine. Don't talk about. Don't say the word fired. Don't say the word sacked as it pertains to these people. So if Kemi Badenoch actually loses this position, she just lost this position. She simply just lost the position. She has not been fired. She has not been kicked out of the Conservative Party. She has not been. Ki- uh, 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 I don't know. I want to say impeached, but I don't know if that's actually a term here in the UK. Um, but let's just say it for the you know popularity sake of the word, impeached uh, from uh, her being MP. None of that's going to happen, okay? She'll just have to be voted out, right? That's simply that's simply the 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 bread and butter of it. Um, but she does not deserve this position. She is fully equipped intellectually to um, do this. And uh, if you really want an example, hit up this article and hit up the leaked LGBTQ videos. Uh, uh, audio. How can you be a qualities minister? And oh, fuck. let's just move on. Bloody hell. So we finish up with. Uh, uh, I feel like I'm doing this more regularly now. Just like dropping obituaries in the last <laughs> in the last segment, but. Uh, this is uh, an obituary for Mr. Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, this is written by Chris Weigand, uh, who's the stage editor of The Guardian. And uh, yeah, man, if you don't if you don't know Melvin Van Peebles, I really like you know obviously listen to this for the next ten or so minutes. Um, but also just 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 try and watch this stuff, man. Try and peep sweet sweet uh, sweet sweetback's badass song. It is the one of the most fascinating films I've ever seen. Um, just the first. 10 minutes the first five ten minutes alone are just absolutely just like nothing i've ever seen before and uh, it will forever be singed into my head like it's just crazy um so yeah let's just jump in right into this in his own world uh, in his own words the filmmaker melvin van peebles who died has died at the age 89 was the rosa parks of the industry he was one of the few African-American directors to have moved within the Hollywood studio system when, in 1970, Columbia gave him a three-picture contract. But Columbia balked at the incendiary plot of his next project, about a black hustler who kills white police officers and escapes scot-free. So Van Peebles borrowed 50k from the actor Bill Cosby, raised an additional 150k, and launched an independent production as a writer, director, producer, editor, composer, and lead actor. Shot Gorilla style over 19 days, Sweet 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 Sweetback's Badass Song 1971 was a huge commercial success and effectively launched the black exploitation genre, which gave the black actors an unprecedented array of leading roles. However, Van Peebles was ambivalent about the genre, as he believed it often sidelined the political motives of his own film. It was a retaliation against Hollywood's default modes of black characterization. Silent subservience or the stately Sidney Poitier mold. The opening sequence lists the star- main stars as the black community. In the first... Uh, oh, no, don't say the first scene. I don't want to explain the first scene. I don't. So I'm not going to explain the first scene because um, I, 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 I want you guys to either read this. If you want to spoil it, go read it. Sure, but just watch it. Just please go watch it. It's crazy. Um, Melvin took the role of Sweet uh, of Sweetback in his own film because he claimed that no actors were interested in the character who speaks a barely a dozen words, mostly expletives, and makes a living performing sexual acts. That's a clue right there, by the way. Uh, but yeah, please go peep that. Those first that first scene is just fucking hell, fucking crazy. Um, when Sweet uh, when Sweetback witnesses the assault of a black man by racist white police officers, he attacks them and flees. The film's most enduring images are of Van Peebles running, sporting golden flares, and a, a billowing black shirt and droopy moustache. 
Uh, the sequences are visually and sonically inventive. The, there are freeze frames, psychedelic colours, superimposed images, and a throbbing jazz funk undercurrent. When Van Peebles came to promote the film, he supplied radio stations with his own infectious, uh, infectious uh, musical composition. The film's score, performed by Earth, Earth, Wind and Fire, was released by Stax Records. Uh, when the film was assigned a prohibitive X rating, Van Peebles printed t-shirt stained rated X by an all-white jury. Oh, that's such a buzz move. Oh, I want that shirt so bad. Fuck, that's such a boss move. Oh my god. Honestly, think about that, right? That's some Lil Nas X shit. You lot guess Lil Nas X for his marketing. This is where he gets it from. Let's be real. That is some Lil Nas X marketing right there. Okay? So that Lil Nas X marketing is actually Van Peebles marketing. Okay? Recognize the game. That is some game, bruv. That's some game. Oh my. Fuck, what a legend, man. Drummed up local support, had the film screened in community halls and makeshift venues and virtually hustled it into cinemas. Pop the trunk on it. He popped the fucking trunk. God damn, what a G. He had learned the art of the hustle from his father, a tailor who ran a shop from the sa- on the south side of Chicago where Melvin was born, the son of Marion Edward Peebles. Uh, Melvin added Van to his name when he moved to Holland in his late 20s. That's... That's funny. Uh, by the age of 10, he was working on the cash register in his father's shops and selling old clothes on the streets. He attended Thornton Township High School in Harvey, Illinois, and graduated from Ohio Wesleyan uh, University in 1953 with a degree in English. He joined the U.S. Air Force, served as a navigator and bombardier uh, in Strategic Air Command, and married a German photographer, Maria Marx, with, with whom he had two sons, Mario and Max, a, and a daughter, Megan. A period uh, spent working in San Francisco as a cable car operator inspired him to write the book The Big Heart. Uh, he also painted and take and taking inspiration from Sergei uh, Eisenstein's uh, collection of essays in film form, picked up the basics of filmmaking. After making a series of short films, he relocated to Holland, where he studied astronomy at the University of Amsterdam. He then settled in Paris and con- contributed his cartoon strips to, to the satirical magazine Harakiri. Uh, he wrote a handful of novels in French, including La Permission. Uh, his filmmaking was encouraged by Henri Lagois, Langlois, Langlois, Langlois. Sorry, there was a Lois at the end. I thought it was Langlois, but it was, there was an L in it. So Langlois uh, of the Cinématique uh, Français, uh, butchering this French, but gotta love it, uh, which had screened his shorts, and Van Peebles decided to adapt La Permission for his first feature. Uh, a French production released uh, released as the story of a three day pass uh, made in sixty eight. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a frank account uh, of rank and race in the army. The film follows a black soldier stationed in France who receives a promotion and is given some time off before starting his new position. Dogged by the thought that he has become his white captain's uncle Tom, he embarks for Paris. Van Peebles uh, shots, uh, shot the cafes and stalls of the left bank in free win documentary style. The soldier meets and dances with a white girl and arranges to spend the next day with her by the, uh, by the beach. There they, uh, there they are spotted by three white men from the base, shocked to see the interracial couple. They report back to the captain who swiftly demotes the soldier. The film, punctuated by jazzy bursts of music, has more than a friction of the French New Wave. A touch of the absurd and the humour of a j- of a jaded and jaded uh, irony of the blues. In one of the most powerful sequences, the couple awkwardly check into a hotel and make love in a disarming montage of incorporating images of warfare, chorus lines, and race demonstrations. The film won an award at the San Francisco Film Festival, where Van Peebles recalled with some amusement, they were uh, they were surprised to discover that the Dutch sounding director of this French production was an African American. <laughs> Oh gosh, he was then signed up to direct Watermelon Man in 1970, a provo- provocative comedy written by Herman Rauscher, Rauscher? I think it's Rauscher, uh, about a racist wh- white salesman, Jeff, who wakes up one morning to find his skin has turned black. The producers wanted to cast a white actor who would then appear in blackface and after the transformation, but Van Peebles won the argument to use a black star, Godfrey Cambridge, who would be then be done up in whiteface. Ah, shout to Van Peebles. That's a, that's a boss move again. Boss moves. The guys, they don't do this now. Guys, there was a show 
in 2006, I think, where Ice Cube had like a, a a a race swap, like wife swap, but in terms of like a white family and a black family, the black family would be in white face and the white family in black face. Look it the fuck up. This is real, okay? And that was in like the early. That was in mid 2000s. Van Peebles is doing the boss moves in 1970. Okay, recognize the game. All right, let's continue on. Um, he also altered the original ending of the film, in which the salesman woke up to find that it had all been a bad dream. Van Peebles didn't want to equate life as, as an African-American with a nightmare. Although the film was made with some of his trademark exper- experimental flourishes, including colour filters, it is essentially a broad domestic comedy, well played by Cambridge and Estelle Parsons as his long-suffering wife, uh, uh, Althea. After the transformation, Jeff is met with shrieks of fear, open suspicion, and hostility. If the film played by America's uh, uh, played America's inequalities for laughs, Sweet Sweetback's badass song uh, was made in anger and defiance. Despite proving Van Peebles' box office clout, Sweetback made more than ten million in 1971. It lost him his deal with Columbia and won him a reputation as a volatile talent. By then, Van Peebles had achieved success as a musician. For his albums of original proto-rap material, including Bre- Bresol, B-R-E-R, Bresol, okay, in 1968, he then turned his attention to Broadway, writing the music, book, and lyrics for a ghetto for a ghetto life musical, "Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death," which opened in October 1971 and ran for more than nine months before it closed. Uh, before yeah, before it closed, he opened another musical on Broadway, "Don't Play Us Cheap." His book received a Tony nomination and a film version came out in 1972. In 1974, he released a new album, What the... You Mean I Can't Sing? It's a title reflecting his gruff humour and a progression in his vocal delivery from the, from the spoken lyrics on previous, excuse me, on previous releases. Ten years passed before he released another album on f- or film, but Van Peebles kept busy in the theatre. An autobiographical picturesque musical, Walks of Stork, uh, opened in New York in 1982 with him as its star and a couple of years later he directed a revamped puppet version of the show. The material was recycled into a 2008 film, Confessions of an Ex-Doofus, Itchy-Footed Mother and a graphic novel. I love these names, these names are great. Oh, so beautiful. Uh, by 1983, Van Peebles had developed his uh, most unexpected role yet, moving from Broadway to Wall Street and becoming a trader on the floor of the American Stock Exchange. In 1986, he wrote a book for aspiring investors, Bold Money, a new way to play the options market. Meanwhile, he returned to movies. He had a role in Robert Altman's O.C. and Stiggs and appeared in uh, with Mario uh, in, Jaws, uh, in Jaws the Revenge, uh, the TV series Sunny Spoon and the predominantly African-American Western Posse, which Mario directed. Um, uh, I think it's, I think it means Mario Van Peebles, by the way. So, uh, just just a note. Um, <coughs> yeah, he's directed by son Mario. There you go. Uh, back in 1971, Huey Newton had praised Sweet Sweetback uh, and made it mandatory viewing for the Black Panthers. In 1995, Van Peebles adapted his own novel about the formation of Newton's radical party for the film Panther, directed by Mario. The following year, they made The Gang in Blue, about racism within the police. In 1998, Van Peebles wrote and narrated the documentary Classified X, an overview of black characters in American film, routinely dubbed the godfather of black cinema, although he preferred godfather of independent cinema, He increasingly appeared in documentaries, usually wearing his trademark round glasses and beret, chewing on a cigar. His projects became riffs on past achievements. He and Mario published a book about working together, No Identity Crisis, and uh, appeared in The Hebrew Hammer, uh, an an irreverent Jewish take on black exploitation. God, that sounds interesting. Uh, He made another French production, uh, Le Conte du Ventre uh, Plain. Plain? It's it's with an E-I, so Plain. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I I can do French. I just I I, just, I bottle it sometimes. Uh, released shortly after he was named the Chevalier of the Legion d'Honneur, uh, he also launched a musical theatre version of Sweet Sweetback in France in 2010. His son Mario cast him in small roles in Redemption Road, We the Party, and Armed, and also appeared in Tina Gordon's family comedy Peebles or Peoples with a uh, with a P. Um, 
His marriage to Maria ended the divorce in 2018. Megan died in 06. He is survived by Mario, Max, another daughter, Marguerite, and 11 grandchildren. Wow. Wow. I mean, come on, guys. Seriously, what a dude. I, I just, it just, it blows my mind sometimes of how much life people live. You know what I mean? Um, I've done, I, I feel like compared to someone like him, um, the the name, the, honestly, compared to him and someone who I also was having, I was thinking about this, I was thinking about another person while I was just like lifting, listing off the shit that he's done you know, in his 20s and 30s and whatever, before he got to the thing that made him, you know, relatively famous, right? I just think of Quincy Jones as another person like that, because, you know, obviously Quincy Jones is a bit more, uh, was a lot more successful, um, you know, in the art, in, in an objective sense. Um, you know, that guy, you know, by the time he was like 50, he already did everything. Like he was, he was good. Everything else was gravy up to, uh, up to that point. You know, he was a jazz musician. Uh, he was a composer. Uh, you know, he led. You know, amazing, comp- uh, amazing uh, uh, bands and stuff like that. And that was all before he got to Michael Jackson. You know, um, so it reminds me. They they both remind me of each other in some way. Where like they were both such fucking trailblazers. And even though, and it's such a shame in some way, it's bittersweet, bittersweet, sweet back actually, um, that we know him, we know him for sweet, sweet back, but there's so much more there. There is so, so much more. And um, yeah, that that's just another person that I wish I had the opportunity to talk to one day. Um, you know, there's plenty of people like that that have come and gone. Uh, before I was born, while I've been alive, right? And I'm sure you guys have a have a list of those people, uh, you know, that you can list off. But Van Peebles was really up there for me. Um, I watched Sweet Sweet back in film studies in uh, in Belfast Academy uh, while when I was like 17, uh, maybe 18 around that age, and uh, it blew my mind. Like it was it was so rough, it was so rugged, but the fact that he did it all himself practically blew my fucking mind. And then um, that was just one thing. That was just one thing amongst many things he did for our life. And uh, unfortunately, he's come to um, that point, uh, to the end. And um, yeah, man, RIP to a true legend in every sense of the word, like an absolute trailblazer. And uh, I'll use his words, the Godfather, the Godfather of independent cinema. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen. From the 5th M Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor and it's been what's good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find the link to the song and to his uh, work in the full show notes. Thanks to Chop Breakers for a bit to use the track. You can also find their details in the full show notes. Thanks to Nappy High for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.